Pen of the Family by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1951. Chapter 10, The Match Race. Lord, I thank you that in the the work we do every day, we have joys, we have uh, trials, we have successes, and we have failures. There are things, Lord, that you bring about that don't always go well, and we wish they were different, but yet in your goodness, you bring about these trials, these challenges, so that we grow up and mature, and it's for our good that we are kept by you through each one of these uh, as you guard us in Jesus' name. Amen. I never felt much worse than I did when Jerry hollered at high. It seemed as if I'd gummed everything up for everybody, and I wished I'd never come to the fairgrounds at all. But the fellows weren't really mad at me, and high was smart. As soon as Fred Altman had taken the bay's bridle, he picked me up off his back, and he picked me up just like he'd pick an apple. He just reached up on one hand and grabbed hold of the cross straps on the back of my overalls. Then he held me up over his head like I was a little kitten, and he was putting up in a tree. Hells, bells, he hollered. This little old kid don't weigh no more than a horsefly. I could pack him and outfoot the blue myself. As he said it again, he ran me around in a circle, dropped me and caught me again just before I w- would have hit the ground. All the people in front of the grandstand laughed and hollered, and I think High fooled a lot of them. The fellows didn't have any trouble getting all the bets they wanted on Fred's Bay. They didn't win, though. Mr. Batchelet's chestnut beat the bay by half a length, and Mr. Batchelet was the big cattle trader around Littleton, and he was the only man in town who was louder than Sheriff McGrath. I thought there was going to be a fight before the bets were all paid off on the $100 race. Of course, Mr. Batchelet knew all the YB fellows and everybody else, and I guess he'd had a few drinks of whiskey before he came over to collect. Anyway, he told Fred his bay was no good, and they had a couple of heifer calves out of his ranch that could outrun him any day in the week. Hi, Mr. Cooper had to hold on to Fred to keep him from taking a swing at Mr. Batchelet, and before it was over, half the men at the fairgrounds must have come over and taken sides one way or the other. Then Hi got the idea of having a match race between the two horses as soon as the fair program was over. I never had any idea how much money was bet on that race, but it must have been a lot. I know our fellows bet every dime they could get their fingers on, and I think most everybody else did, too. For a while, I was right in the middle of it all. But when it looked as if it were going to be a free-for-all fight, Ted Eberts picked me up and took me to the outside of the crowd. I was the last one to know that I was going to ride Fred's Bay. As soon as the crowd broke up, Fred and Hyde took me over and bought me a barbecue sandwich and a quarter of an apple pie. Then we sat down under the grandstand while I ate it. They waited till I was half finished with the sandwich before High said, Little britches, we may have done you some dirt, but by doggies, you've got sense enough to look out for yourself. Batch ain't no fool, and he ain't above winning a horse race any way he can. Not this one, he ain't. Not with as much powder on the barrel head. He's putting that LeBeau kid on his chestnut for the match race. And what I mean, that freshman's, Frenchman's a tough hombre. You watch out for him. That was the first I really knew that I was going to ride in the match. But I'd been hoping I was. I won't have to watch out for him, I said. If I can get the bay off to a good start, he'll never get close enough to do us any dirt. Don't you be too dang cocky, little britches, I said. I told you, Batch ain't no fool. You ain't going to get to ride bareback. You got to ride a saddle, and you got to pack sand enough to bring your weight up to the Frenchman's. You ain't going to pack that kind of a load and slip around him like you done with Tom. 
and you be doggone careful about getting in close to get him. Batch will be making it worth the Frenchman's time to win. Fred Allen hadn't said anything. He reached over and put his hand on my knee. Understand, little britches, this ain't no life and death race. It's just another horse race. Only thing is, there's quite a chunk of money bet on it. The LeBeau kid's probably got a five on it himself, and his reputation ain't too good. If he starts making it tough for you, drop back. There ain't no race worth getting hurt for. That's right, Fred. It's right as rain. Stay clear of the kid, even on the turn, little britches, High told me. You'll have to cover more ground, but if you talk to the bay like you've done to old Sky, you can give that Frenchie plenty of room and still win. And don't take no daredevil chances. I've told the bow I'll knock his teeth out one by one if he makes a dirty move, but I don't trust him. Fred, I wish we would call this whole thing off. By that time, I wish so too, but I wasn't going to let them find it out. I knew the bow. He was about 20 and as tough as wine leather. Sheriff McGrath was always after him for something, and he'd been in fights in every saloon in town. But he could ride anything with four legs. I made my voice go low in my throat as I could and said, uh, You don't have to worry about me. I'm not a bit afraid, and I'll keep clear of him all the way. Tom Brogan came to the end of the grandstand and called Fred outside, but hiding the move. It was the first time he and I had been alone since Father died. Strange how sometimes you can be with somebody you like and not say a word. And all the time you know that what the other one is thinking. And you know he knows what you're thinking. That's the way it was with High and me. I, wanted, I knew he wanted to tell me he was sorry Father died. And I knew he couldn't find the right words to say it. We must have sat there for at least ten minutes before High put his hand over on my leg and said, Dang fine man, you'll do all right if you grow up like him. I didn't say anything. I couldn't. Just as we were coming out... From under the grandstand, High rumpled up my hair and said, You want I should send one of the boys up after your saddle, or want you want to take Sky and go for it yourself? I didn't want to tell him I didn't have it anymore, so I said, Never mind, High. I'll ride that light saddle of Tom's. Mother would be worried about me if I came home after my saddle, and she'd be more worried if somebody else came for it. High pushed his Stetson back, scratched the top of his head for a minute. No little britches, that ain't no good. You're going to have to get every lick out in that bay, and you never could do it on a strange saddle. I'll go myself, for the river at the dam and belly hook up over the hill. I'll guarantee your model never see hide nor hair of me. Where's your saddle at? Hanging in the barn? Of course. I had to tell him then that it had been stolen, that I didn't know where it was. But I did tell him that it really didn't make any difference because we didn't have a horse anymore. I was still trying to keep my voice way down my throat, and I felt so bad about losing the saddle he'd made me the words came out all whiskery. He slapped me on the back so hard it made my teeth chatter and said, That ain't going to make a mighty difference. Come to think of it, you had to pack more sand with a lighter saddle. Sand's a dead weight, twice as tough to pack as saddle leather. Come on, we'll get Tom's saddle cinched down to your size for the, the bronc busting class. The busting contest was the last one in the program, and the, the match race was to be right afterwards. All the time, the bucking was going on. I could see Tom Brogan exercising Fred's bay in the open space to, by the Thorbred uh, stables. But I never caught sight of Bachelet's chestnut. I think made, that made me more nervous than anything else. I heard of giving horses whiskey just before a race to make them run faster, and I was afraid Mr. Bachelet and LeBeau were doing something like that to the chestnut. Half the men in the country were ganged up around the track gate when LeBeau and I rode out onto the strip. 
Fred led the bay as far as the gate, and High walked along beside us with his hand on my knee. I tried to hold it still so he wouldn't know how much I was shivering. But the more I tried to hold it, the more it shook. He kept soft-talking me all the way, just the way he'd done with a frightened horse. But all I can remember of it is, don't take no chances, little britches. Don't take no chances. The crowd sounded like a flock of magpies around a dead animal. But one man's voice bellowed above the rest of the roar. By the sound of his brogue, he was an Irishman. I guess he had bet some money on the bay, and he was calling Fred a blankety-blank fool for letting a little kid ride his horse in a big race. Ed Bemis, Sheriff McGrath, and some other man I didn't know rode out to the backstretch with us. Halfway out, the sheriff dropped back beside me and whispered, You watch out for this little bow kid, little britches. I'll see he don't do you no dirt at the takeoff, but you'll be on your own after that. There won't be nothing I can do for you. My knees wouldn't stop shaking. After Ed Bemis had marked off the starting line, he spun a silver dollar up into the air, looked at me, and called, Heads or tails? I said, Heads. But it came up down tails, so he told LeBeau to take the inside position against the rail. LeBeau was little and skinny for a grown man. His eyes were narrow and slanted, his mouth was too big for his face, face and his teeth were yellow. He looked like a half-starved coyote, and he grinned at me like one when he shouldered the chestnut past us. I think my being nervous bothered the bay. He acted as though he had St. Vitus's dance, and I could feel the muscles lump, jump, and twitch under his wide or under his wet hide. Every time I'd lean an inch forward in the saddle, he'd break with such a rush that I could hardly hold him. It must have taken us ten minutes to get set for the start. My mouth was drier than track dust, and I was scared I was letting the bay waste half his strength before the race ever started. Both horses broke together at the gun and went down the backstretch neck and neck. I remember what Hyatt told me and kept the bay a good four feet out away from the chestnut as we came into the turn. I squeezed in a little to save ground, but I still kept out a couple of feet from LeBeau. Even at that, the chestnut started to pull away from us. I knew the bay was, going, was doing the very best he could, but I stretched up along his neck with a saddle horn poking right into my belly. I picked up the beat of the hoofs and began calling, Come on, come on, to him. It seemed as though the beat quickened, but the chestnut kept inching ahead of us till at the head of the stretch, his tail was right even with my shoulder. I was so busy talking to the bay that I forgot what Hyde told me about keeping clear. We went into the straightaway with the bay's head inches away from the chestnut's flank. I knew we were sunk, but I never wanted anything more than I wanted to win for our boys. I swung my whip high and, without making a break in my talking, cut down across the bay's belly. He lifted and lengthened his stride by an inch or two. The chestnut's tail began to slip back past my shoulder, and I caught a glimpse of LeBeau's head turning toward us. The next second, his whip cut across, cut the bay across the muzzle. A tremble like a sharp earthquake went through him, and his muzzle dropped back even with a chestnut's rump. I was so mad I lost my head, or I would never have swung the whip on a horse that was doing his best. But I did it just the same. As soon as I could get both hands back on the lines, I began drawing him clear of LeBeau's whip. I don't know whether it was my whip or LeBeau's that made the bay mad, but one of them did. His ears were pinned back tight against his neck, and he surged forward till his head was even with LeBeau's knee. Then we got it. LeBeau's head swung, and he spewed a half cup full of tobacco juice right into my horse's eyes. I got my share of it, too. It didn't, he didn't really blind me, but it must have blinded the bay. He side-jumped, and I nearly went out of the saddle, but, the, but he didn't break his stride. I could only open my eye a split second at a time, and all I could see when I did was the blurred heap of the grandstand. Held a tight rein, I held a tight rein, and with my mouth right up against the base, pinned back ears, I started to yell, Go! 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 at him. 
He did go, as I never knew another horse to go in my life. The roar from the grandstand pounded toward us like a stampeding herd. It seemed to be all around us. My eyes were burning, but I blinked them open and saw the blurred white lines of the outside rail at my right. I pulled on the nigh rein so he wouldn't scrape it, and the next moment, High's arm looped around me and scooped me off onto his pommel, saddle pommel. I can't put down what he said, and I didn't even know we had won anything until he told me, until he was holding me there on his knees by the pump, and Fred Allen was pouring cold water over my eyes. Mr. Bachelor was there, too, and all the men from out around our old range. Mr. Bachelor was leaning over me when I could hold my eyes open. His voice was almost as soft as a woman's. Poor little devil. Poor little devil, he kept saying. Never seen such guts in a horse. And man, in all my days. Fred had dipped a handkerchief in cold water and put it over my eyes, and I couldn't see. But I knew Grace was there because I heard her. Maybe it was because the men all stopped talking, and maybe it was because I just knew she'd come. But I wasn't a bit surprised when I heard her voice. It was trembly. And she asked, Is he hurt bad? Is he going to be blind? What did LeBeau do to him? Then she put her hand over mine, and it was as trembly as her voice. I wasn't really hurt. It was just that my eyes stung, and I didn't want her to be frightened. So I pulled the handkerchief off my face and said, See, they're not hurt a bit. They don't even burn anymore. After Grace found out I was all right, she tried to act growing up and scolded me for not having any better sense than to get close to the bow. Then she made me promise to go right home with her so Mother could see if I'd need the doctor. While she was gone to get the other children, High walked out toward the gate with me. He wanted to know if I was going back to school in the fall and if I thought Mother would let me come back to Cooper's ranch to work if he'd promised to look out for me. Then he told me that I pro could probably do better right there in town, helping Mother with the cookery route and picking up odd, odd cattle jobs when I could find them. He said Mr. Bachelor had his eye on me now that I'd won the race from LeBeau and that he could throw lots of jobs my way. Bash ain't near as mean as hombre as folks make him out to be, he said. Him and me punched Longhorns in Texas when he wasn't, we wasn't no bigger than you. He ain't hard inside him, little britches. He's just been in a tough game so long as some of it's rubbed off on him. Bye, doggies. I wished... You could have seen, saw him peel that LeBeau kid off his chestnut and slap the way out of him. No siree. Old Batch, he didn't go for them kind of tricks. Mother was a little upset when we got home. She didn't like my having ridden in the match race. She pinched her lips right up tight while she was bathing my eyes with milk. Then she said, I have never raised much objection to your riding an honest contest with your cowboy friends. But these match races are nothing more nor less than gambling devices. I will not have you taking part in gambling. Very wise mother. Okay. I love you. You guys have a good day.